0: You are listening to The Practice Growth Podcast with Sean Terrell. Welcome to The Practice Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Terrell, and very excited about our special guest for today's episode, Steve Kampschneider. Steve is a franchise owner with DDS Match, which at a really high level specializes in the dental practice transition process. And Steve works primarily with practices in Iowa, Nebraska, and South Dakota. Steve, welcome to the Practice Growth Podcast. It's great to have you as a guest.
1: Well, good evening. Thanks for being uh, bringing me on board. Yeah, I'm
0: excited to to jump into this, and the place that I always like to start is just with some background, so our audience has a little bit of context. Could you share your backstory and sort of how you arrived at this current point of your career?
1: Well, it kind of all started. I was a, a 30-year rep uh, with Patterson Dental out of the Omaha branch. We covered uh, Nebraska, Western Iowa, and South Dakota. Um did the territory thing for about 10 years and did equipment for 20 years. And uh, that's probably where I fell in love with dentistry. Uh, I've been doing it 30 years, but I started out really, really young, just <laughs> for the record. so <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to date
0: yourself too much, I guess, huh?
1: Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a long timer. So.
0: <laughs> so that brings us up to speed on you. Uh, tell us a little bit more about DDS Match, your company and your franchise, and kind of what sort of services they provide in the dental industry.
1: Well, basically, uh, we're an 11-year-old company. Uh, we started with our first franchise seven years ago. Uh, started in Indianapolis by a gentleman by the name of Thad Miller. Uh, he saw the, the need, and in his background, he saw the need of, of helping dentists um, sell their practices. So that kind of morphed into a national footprint. Uh, today, we're in uh, 40, uh, 42 states we have over 30 franchise owners. And basically, we help dentists sell their practices. Uh, I always tell my relatives, you know, my job is sort of like a real estate agent for uh, dental offices. It's kind of what it comes down to in a nutshell. Uh, we help. Uh, we do valuations of practices. We uh, we do. We look at uh, just their uh For instance, uh, if someone told us they wanted to sell in five years, we have a product that kind of helps them gauge the the activity or the level of their practice. Um, We do, uh, you know, office appraisals. We do, uh, we work with doctors on associateships, you know, looking for the correct associate uh, mergers and acquisitions and partnerships. So kind of a full round uh, helping dentists uh, really move to the next level in their careers. And you have, uh, based on our brief conversation before we officially started recording
0: this episode, you sort of have a unique why that you got into this role and have gone in this direction with your career. Could you share a little bit more about that?
1: Well, the, one of the interesting things about my story is that my uh, daughter's a dentist. Uh, she graduated in uh, 17 uh, from, Cre- from Creighton University, and um, you, know, you see these kids... Uh, Go through school. They spend three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars to get this, uh, you know, great, uh, great job. And you, you know, I sent her around to a lot of clients uh, that I knew in the Omaha market. And um, you know, it's a new kid out of school. And what do they do? And uh, you know, the hope is that the hope is that they're someday not living in your basement. You know, that they find a good a good gig. And uh, they make a good career for themselves. And, but that's uh, kind of why I did it. I got a chance to see from a dad's perspective how uh, difficult it is to make the transition from, uh, you know, 20 years in school, K through, uh, you know, through dental school, and then into the, into the private sector. So it gave me a little perspective. Um, the hardest hat I ever had to wear, you know, in my career was the dad hat. And uh, she made it through. And mom and I are proud. <laughs> So, so uh, that's that's my story. But, so to go a little bit deeper,
0: just, just there, what were some of the challenges as a dad that you had to help your daughter through as she transitioned into dentistry, out of dental school at Creighton and into practice?
1: Well, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, it's there for their whole school career. They're sort of locked into the routine of, of, of you know, academia and to go from a um, an academic setting to a studying where they're in a private practice where, you know, they're really the uh, the leader in a, in a practice um, is really kind of difficult for. I think a lot of them, you know, are afraid of that. It's one thing that the schools just can't do in their, you know, their current curriculum is, is really teach business, you know, acumen. Um, and it's a little bit about leadership and that kind of thing. So they're, they're thrust from an academic Uh, perspective into a business perspective and uh there isn't very there isn't a a lot of cushion between those two worlds Hmm. and i think that's what's really difficult for a lot of uh folks kind of breaking out is uh you know what to do how to do it and where to go you know where to do things i think sometimes a lot of times uh, when you have a lot of choices that's probably harder is to kind of you know filter those down into a uh you know, into what's the correct plan or what's the correct direction.
0: Interesting. And some, and some really good context. And then obviously coming from uh, your background with Patterson as well, right. also some pretty good context into the industry. So let's start, I guess, a little bit high level. There's probably a couple different paths that a, an owner of a dental practice could take in transitioning out. Could you just kind of share a high, at a high level uh, some of those different paths, I guess, and what that might entail?
1: Well, like I say, there's there's different pathways. There's there's uh, probably the best way that I've seen is a dentist who can look out five years and decide, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'd like to be retired by this certain date, you know, looking out five years from now um, because it allows the person or the dentist to come into his practice, maybe rehab it a little bit, uh, you know, generate some revenue, work on better business, you know, uh, Uh, technique or better business uh, practices, you know, things like accounts receivable and that kind of thing to clean those things up and then grow it to the size where hopefully you could bring an associate on board who really is, you know, more than just an associate, but a potential buyer or a a partner, you know, going forward, that's probably the best model. Um, The ones that are always challenging are the ones where they're forced to have to sell, You know, Mm -hmm. be it a medical condition or or even sometimes in a couple of cases that I've had where the client uh, was very sick and uh, the clock's ticking in those situations. And those typically, you know, that goes from the sale situation to more of a liquidation and, uh, you know, which isn't fun for anybody in in that condition, uh, that sort of thing.
0: So the more time that you have to to make these decisions, the better. And if if I understood you correctly, that maybe the ideal situation is for someone to come on board as an associate with no ownership interest for some period of time and then eventually transition into uh, all 100% over 100% owner at some point in the future.
1: Yeah, that's probably the best scenario um, is that that requires the, the practice to be large enough to sustain two you know, operating dentists. Uh, but that would be the best scenario. You're correct. Um, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's tough to find Down um, One of the things I tell everybody when we start the process is that, you know, this is a little different transaction than selling a house or a piece of real estate um, in metropolitan areas, you know, Des Moines, the Quad Cities, Omaha, uh, it takes, you know, generally a year to find, you know, to get the right person, get them vetted, get them financed, to get the deal done. In rural settings, it can take up to three years. And uh, in some really rural settings, it, you know, may never happen. You know, it's sometimes hard to find folks to go into, you know, rural communities, you know. So, so it's just time. It's a little bit of luck. Um, and really, the big thing is, is that there's got to be a product that is salable. is that that's something would want to Somebody would want to come in and take over uh, and that, you know, take over the practice when they uh, have that opportunity. Um, one of the uh, issues with, you know, new grads is the debt level uh, that, that they have. I mean, the, the practice has to uh, sustain enough revenue to kind of take care of living expenses and then pay the student loans back. So it's really important that, uh, you know, that they're, they're really on the hunt. They're looking for the right practice that can help them. You know make a good living or make a living at the very start
0: yeah it's uh, it's a lot of headwind for a dentist coming out of school is the way I always think about it because you have potentially student loans from undergrad and then you have student loans from dental school and then maybe you bring in personal or family situation where you're buying a house and starting a family and kind of trying to get a handle on some of the 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 struggles, just getting a footing uh, as a as an adult, as a professional that you you kind of described at a high level with your daughter, just kind of figuring things out, figuring out taxes, and then to double down or triple down again into practice ownership. That's just uh, that's a lot of leverage, I guess, early on. I, is it kind of as a a follow up to that? Is it is it mostly common for people to work as, as an associate in your experience before? you know, going all in on practice ownership right out of dental school?
1: That's usually the model. I mean, if the, the the typical model for a dentist out of school who's not, you know, mom or dad or, or brother or relative isn't a dentist is they associate for a while. Okay. And uh, that kind of helps bridge the gap between academia and the business world and that kind of thing and of course there's you know there's privates there's uh, public sector dentistry and military dentistry but that seems to be the model is that they typically get out of school work for somebody work for a corporation for a couple years and then uh make the transition to private practice so let's let's transition back to the uh the uh
0: the ownership side the sales side so to speak and we hit on a little bit ago kind of the process that you try to take the seller Through, could you kind of at a high level go through what that process is? You mentioned it can be as long as as five years.
1: Sure. Basically, what we do, it's pretty simple. Uh, The client would call me. uh, You know, I we would make have a discussion, brief discussion over the phone. Usually, I'd go and meet the client. You know, in their office after hours. Um, We have a process uh, where we do a business valuation on the on the uh, clinic Uh, that's done by a third party it's blue and company they're an accounting group in Indianapolis Um, that helps us sort of uh, we gather some data on the practice Uh, we put a little application on their computer that allows us to kind of kind of gauge or measure the the clinical uh, value of the practice and then we also gather tax returns and uh, accounting information that helps us more helps our evaluators at uh, blue kind of come up with a value a on the practice, an asset value of the practice that begins sort of the marketing process. You know, we uh, sit back with the dentist, the owner and, and use the spouse and then say, well, this is what we think it's worth. And, you know, and kind of come to come to an understanding of what the sale price will be on the practice. And then it's a marketing You know, then the marketing consists of, uh, you know, word of mouth, uh, trade shows. uh, You know, uh, we have a really good website called ddsmatch.com where we uh, get sellers and buyers to kind of register. And then those are featured on that website. And that allows to kind of getting buyers and sellers together. But uh, it's a little bit of luck, a little bit of, um, you know, hard work. um, And it's just about, you know, getting the right people and the right the two right people together at the right time uh, to perform the transaction. And are you responsible in, in most
0: cases uh, for bringing the seller to the table, so to speak, or how does that fit together?
1: Uh, the seller, usually we are engaged with the seller, uh, but yeah, typically we would bring the seller uh, to the table and then just through our contacts to, you know, we have uh, folks in dental schools and then other associates looking for uh, placement in an area. They would reach out to us through the website or to me personally, and then we would get the buyers and sellers together. Um, so basically what I'm doing is I'm working with the seller and, uh, and then getting the buyers together and getting the buyers vetted and then really helping assist the buyers in the process. I kind of refer to it to the 400-meter hurdles. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's a long race. That's a hard race. a lot of hurdles <laughs> to get through, and it's a hard race, yeah. I'm not a runner, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a really, uh, it's, it's a process. I mean, we've got, uh, accounting to, to accountants to work with on both sides of the transaction attorneys and that kind of thing. But you kind of end up being the coach and the mentor. Um, but there's a lot of coaching that we would do on my side to kind of help get to the finish line together.
0: Okay. You mentioned some of those team members who is responsible for kind of bringing those, uh, those people together and then who's responsible for leading that team and
1: well really it'd be my job or role as sort of the leader of that um if um seller, you know typically the seller has an accountant the seller may not have an attorney but to find kind of a the you know the right type of attorney who's really uh you know kind of transaction oriented and then usually uh, the uh, the buyer typically is younger in their career. They may have a, a casual accountant. Um, but my job would be to help kind of bring in uh, an accounting team and a legal team uh, to help kind of get the transaction across the, you know, across the, the finish line, so to speak. The uh, one thing that's really important and key is to find uh, accountants and your professionals, your accountants and attorneys who uh, really know dentistry mm-hmm. uh, it's uh it's a little different animal than most dentistry but they really have to have an understanding of the uh the overheads involved and the you know the equipment costs and uh, you know that sort of thing it's very helpful to find a you know somebody who's you know who's done a dental worked with a dentist before in some capacity so dental and then specific. once we get that sort of yeah, dental specific uh, expertise in that
0: discipline, right. and then
1: banking, and then the finances to find. I always tell uh, you know tell the buyers you want to look for a big bank. You want to look for a bank that has a professional financing or lending division that work with dentists because uh, in most instances these things are a hundred percent financed. You know, and it's because those banks have understand dentistry is a very good long term uh, bet. Um, and, uh, and there's very low default rate in dentistry in that, but, so that's what we kind of bring to the table. We bring, uh, you know, the buyers and sellers together. We also bring in the accounting, the legal and the finance to kind of get the job done as again, kind of referring to the hurdles of the 400 yard race, 400 meter (laughs) race. What other factors might come into play for a seller?
0: I know everyone wants to get the highest price for their practice they can get, but are there other factors that... A seller might be interested in achieving with their sales, such as making sure it goes to a practitioner that they feel comfortable with uh, handling their patients after they're gone, as one example.
1: That's one thing we really sell sell the seller is that, you know, they're in complete control. You know, they have uh, the autonomy to kind of decide if this is the right fit or not. Uh, because this is really, it's not just about selling the practice and, you know, walking away with a big, you know, bag of cash. It's about their legacy. And that's kind of the one thing that uh, we really want to impress upon the dentist is that we, there's a point there where the two meet and they sit down and uh, kind of get to know each other. And we want to make sure it's a good fit, you know, and that helps out the seller and the buyer, you know, the buyer is able to Kind of feel comfortable that, uh, that the, the seller's leaving the practice in good hands and vice versa.
0: How does confidentiality factor into to these transitions?
1: We basically have both parties sign a confidentiality agreement, um, both the seller and the, the buyer really important that the buyer understands that uh, a lot of the information as we make the deep dive into the books that these, this is confidential information only to be shared with uh, the professionals who are under confidentiality you know by their very uh, licensure. Um, it's really important in, A, we really want to keep, in most instances, these, these transactions takes place without the, the staff knowing about it. Mm. Uh, sometimes we find 99% of the time when the staff finds out, things just get a little messy. You know, it's just, you start dealing with not the financial issues, but the people issues. And uh, so it's really important that uh, confidentiality is uh, is is, you know, with an eye towards confidentiality the whole time.
0: So the valuation is going to determine or be determined uh, by a lot of different factors. Could you go through some of what those key factors are in determining a practice valuation and with enough time or enough runway before the dentist has to sell it, uh, what can be done to drive the value up uh, as much as possible in the valuation?
1: Sure. You know, there's really three ways to value any you know any business or piece of you know equipment or any piece of uh, real estate. There's an asset way. There's an an uh, income approach and a market approach. And uh, the bottom line is most cases in most dentist dental offices, we look at things from an asset uh, approach. Good, we're selling goodwill. And with that, what that means is is we're selling the the uh, you know we're selling a, a business that generates income. And anything that makes the business more profitable uh, makes it much more attractive, you know, and it drives a higher price for the uh, for the seller. You know, if there's good business metrics like great collection, uh, you, know, you know, good collection uh, practices, that the fees are, you know, they're on the, the top end of the scale, not the bottom end of the scale. Uh, everyone's sort of paying attention to the overhead of the practice. Those are things that are very helpful. One of the things the buyers are looking at is, uh, you know, if I did buy this practice, you know, what uh, is – is the equipment in good shape? I mean, mm-hmm. is it five-year equipment? Is it five-minute equipment? Uh, <laughs> is there, what? What is it? You know, what is it going to take? What are they going to have to invest in the practice on the front side to make it habitable for the next five or ten years? Because one of the things, you know, with the amount of debt these kids have or you know younger dentists have, is they don't have a lot of room for investing and in buying gear, you know, on the front side. It's really about. I'm going to get in here. I'm going to live here for a while. I'm going to make things happen. I'm going to generate some revenue, and then I can start sprucing the place up, you know, on a on a you know on a need basis and that. So you know, so again, we have a product called the Poe. It's a practice optimizer, and really, what it does is we take a dive into the, the books of the practice, and really, it's a it's a product for a five year dentist who's out, who's five years out from retirement. And really, what it's about is taking a look and a snapshot of the of the practice today, and then kind of devising a five year plan to help them drive value, and then kind of set the practice up for uh, you know for uh, a good sale in the very end. You know, one of the things you can't do is if your if your fee schedule is on the bottom side of the scale. And you want to sell in a year, you know, you can't double your fees without really alienating the patient base. (laughs) You know, so those things have to be moved up incrementally. And, uh, you know, that just takes time and uh, keeping an eye on things. So
0: So as you were describing kind of that, what, what popped up for me was the process of buying a residential house. And what I hear you saying is that as much as possible, you want that practice to be move in ready for the buyer. Exactly. Exactly. With that real estate analogy, I think that's a, a nice transition to ask you: How does real estate fit in when uh, the seller owns the building and the land that the practice is located on?
1: It really it really depends on the 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 amount of loan or uh, the amount of debt the bankers are happy with with the with the you know the buyer. Um, if the uh, practice has good fundamentals and the price is right and the debt isn't too heavy on the the buyer side, you know, in most cases, they'll try and uh, buy the real estate. Uh, What we see in most instances since, you know, because of student loan debt and, you know, a young person starting in their career is that typically the banks are pretty comfortable with a, uh, uh, a young dentist buying the practice and then leasing for a while, maybe a few, five years, and then buying the real estate at a later date. Uh, not a bad strategy for the dentist, the owner, in that he doesn't take big, you know, chunk of cash in one tax year. It's spread out over time, but pretty realistic. I always tell most of my uh, sellers is that you got to think about this thing as two transactions. The first transaction is the practice. And the second transaction is going to be the real estate if they're, you know, if they're an owner.
0: So we talked about some of the positives to have in a saleable practice conversely uh when when these things go bad or not as well as they could go what are usually the 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 earmarks of that or what are some of the things that pop up
1: oh you know the things you're probably pretty obvious is that maybe there's like a lot of accounts receivable Uh, those are things that we sort of fight about at the end shouldn't say fight but they're negotiating (laughs) tools from you know from from the seller from the buyer side um the condition of the clinic you know it doesn't have to be brand new out of the box but if it's got to be presentable, it's got to be move-in ready, like you said earlier, um, and then just you know a good, good business practices, and you know good, uh, good fee schedule, um, things are taken care of, things are neat and tidy, um, you know that kind of thing. Things that would make any sort of a, a purchase of a of a business type product, you know, um, that somebody would want to you know pay for, pay a premium for. So I, I think anyone that's been listening this
0: far knows and can tell by listening to you, Steve, that you, you, that you know, your stuff, uh, what are maybe some of the other differentiating factors that you hope to, uh, I guess, why DDS match is maybe the more <laughs> succinct way to ask my question.
1: Well, you know, I tell folks is that, you know, we're, we're dental people, you know, we're, uh, you know, when, uh, I think dentists can even, we always kind of laugh about this at the trade shows. When you're in the dental business for 30 years, be it a dentist or be it a distributor, you're sort of, you know, you're in the family business, so to speak. You know, we're we're dental people to the core. Um, my kids always laughed at me about, uh, I always told them when they, they were, you know, when they grew up, I wanted them to be a dentist because I think it's the best, you know, best job that a person could have. And, uh, you know, we just do dentistry. You know, we don't sell veterinary clinics. Um, we don't sell, you know, restaurants and bars. We are strictly dental centric. That's what we do.
0: It sounds like at least one of your
1: kids listened to you. Yeah, one did. You know, I'm, uh, hoping, uh, the, the whole, I hope, oh, yeah, one did. So one for two <laughs> isn't too bad. <laughs> well, kids didn't always listen. So,
0: uh, that's right. anyone yeah. that's a parent well,
1: can, can attest you know, to that. Now they're having, now we're starting to have grandbabies. I was telling Dennis today, I talked to, I said he was just, he had his first uh, college kid. And I said, wow! You know, I says I'm getting smarter every day. You know, you know when the kids first go off to college, you know, mom and dad don't know a lot. And uh, like I told him, I says he's probably right now the the most un, most edu- uneducated he's ever been. And he's only going to get smarter from here on out. So, <laughs> so the trick is, is to be around long enough to to get you know to be smart again. So. <laughs>
0: Uh, as as we kind of start to wrap up here, uh, one thing I I don't think I hit on was your compensation for the value and the service that you provide. Could you hit on that and kind of how that all works? Yeah, out? you
1: know we're fee based. I mean we basically are driven by commissions. Um, there's an engagement fee when we uh, work with a dentist and we do a an a, a, a practice valuation. And that typically that price is five thousand dollars. And then uh, we have a sliding commission scale, really kind of based on uh, needs and assessments. It's anywhere from five to 10% of the practice sale. Uh, Any sort of engagement fees go towards commissions. So Mm -hmm. if someone did an, you know, did did the engagement fee of 5,000, that would go towards a commission at the end. And we're paid at the end of the deal. uh, When everyone's kind of reconciled and the books are cleaned up, Um, that's, uh, you know, kind of a standard business uh, formula. Uh, the 5% side would be if uh, the uh, seller would bring us a list of contacts or dentists they've made contact with mm-hmm. um, when we do uh, transactions where, you know, sometimes part of what we do is we carry the ball for uh, uh, partnerships, and that's 5%, you know, depending on the – but typically it's 5%, so anywhere from 5 to 10%.
0: Okay. And so, just to clarify the engagement fee isn't after the first conversation necessarily. Maybe
1: No, that's if they decide to if they decide to uh, move forward uh where we would sign a uh, an agreement, not a listing agreement but an uh, an agreement and uh what did we do at that point is we uh we start pulling, we put a a little bug on their computer on uh, well, application better better, better, better word. Uh we put this application that draws out clinical data. We uh we gather three years to four years of tax returns. All those returns are gathered. Uh they're sent over a secure site to Blue and Company in Indianapolis. And uh they basically uh churn out a report about four to six weeks later on practice. So the first step
0: is to get in touch and, and have a conversation with
1: you and first and, step is to call. Yeah. And how far out One is out. One of the things I out. tell folks well, you know, I uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, if you're if, if you're at that five year mark, call us. You know, we okay. have a five year you know product. Um, it helps me in when someone says they're in, especially a rural community. Uh, that I hear somebody wanting to go to a you know a small community. That would, it's nice to know that there's a dentist out there two or three years out. Um, you know, it's it's really important to get a jump start on it. The worst scenarios are. You know, what I want to look for in a, in a, you know, in a, you know, in a project is someone, frankly, who, you know, they don't, they want to sell. They don't need to sell. The needs are hard to work with. The mm-hmm. needs are based on time and they have to happen right away. And there's usually some sort of a condition out there that, you know, that uh, is dictating that, that it has to happen now. And those are, that's tough on everyone. Tough on the f- dentist, tough on the family tough on, you know, me because, you know, there's a little pressure that goes into that. And uh, it doesn't drive a premium price when it's, you know, a have to rather mm-hmm. than a want to type so, of a transaction.
0: So best to, to make these decisions and go through this process from a position of strength is, is what I hear you say. Yes, there. absolutely. Correct. Absolutely. Correct. As we sort of wrap up here and we've hit on a lot of stuff and thanks for for taking me through my my. All my questions. I hope it's been helpful to the audience, and I've learned a lot as well. Uh, anything that I haven't hit on that you think is pertinent to share?
1: Well, one of the things we do at Blue and Company, this is our partner who does our valuations. They have a biennial uh, dental survey. You know, they work with over three thousand dental offices, so they've gathered all the metrics on you know how much are you know what's the average and mean of uh, dental supplies. Uh, that kind of thing. If mm-hmm. anybody would be interested in that's a free product, I can send them a PDF of it, uh, send me an email, get a hold of Sean, and I can send them a copy of that thing. It's kind of nice to see where you are, you know, in, in staff compensation compared to a national average uh, and that kind of thing. And for people that are ready to start a conversation
0: with you, what's the best way to get in touch? You Steve?
1: can, uh, two ways, you can uh, email me at campy, K-A-M-P-Y, at ddsmatch.com or go to our website, which is ddsmatch.com. You can click on uh, a region of the country, like a state like Iowa, and once they click on that Iowa, I'll get a flag or an email that says they uh, inquired uh, on the, uh, they're looking for for practice or an opportunity. Steve Kampschneider with DDS Match.
0: Really enjoyed our conversation and and hearing more about your story and your expertise and and what you provide to the dental industry. Thanks for being a guest with us on the Practice Growth Podcast.
1: Thanks for the invite.
0: Appreciate it. Sean Terrell is a registered representative, certified exit planner, and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities LLC PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a direct wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Carroll Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian or Carroll Financial and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Compliance tracking number 2021 115891, expiration date February 2023.